Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So this evening, this morning rather, this evening probably too, we're going to take time and just slow down a around those ideas a little bit. I'm not going to share perhaps as much Scripture as I normally would like to. We're still going to look at Scripture in a moment, not quite yet. And what is just to, just to slow down a little bit, because one of the dangers that we have in church and in life, I guess, as we work with the Lord, is that He speaks to us and He leads us and it's very easy for us almost to forget what he said to us three weeks ago because of what he's saying to us this week. And we don't take time to nail down what he did a couple of weeks ago and, and really embed it into our lives and we start running off to the next message, especially sort of in a, an Instagram generation that we are today. You know, we get this reel. Well, that was a fun reel. And five minutes later, there's another fun reel. And five minutes later, there's another fun reel. And by the time we get to the 17th one, we've forgotten about the first one. And we get all of these beautiful snippets, even deep spiritual snippets. And I think sometimes the Lord wants us just to slow down. And we try and do that in our small groups as well. This year, the, the Lord has been speaking to us about stepping in, stepping into love and stepping into his purpose. I just have a real sense that God is about to release upon us just an embrace, but not only an embracing of purpose, a realization of purpose as we haven't experienced in our lives, most of us. He's been speaking to us around that for a couple of weeks. We spoke about the fact that the cares of this world steal our fruitfulness. That God wants us to be fruitful concerning His purpose. Before that even, we spoke about the fact that His purpose is not our purpose. That God is and always has been a sending God. He has a purpose to send, to redeem, to make whole all of the brokenness on this earth. And He sends, and it's not that God has a church for his mission, a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. That's sort of a, a thing we've said a lot. That God's mission goes beyond church. God's mission existed before there was church. That Jesus came before there was a church that he brought into being. He didn't bring a church into being and give them a mission. He brought a church into being because he had a mission. And so we want to embrace this mission, this mission day, this mission of God to be a people who are sent people, who are sent ones. We miss this often that the very word apostle, this word that we hold and rightly so in high esteem in the church has as its core simply a meaning of a saint one. An apostle of Jesus Christ is a saint one of Jesus Christ, because God has always been the sending one. And in that sense, he would have us all be sent ones. The gospel in its fullness, we see a sort of example of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, where he was sort of in the year that King Uzziah died. Here's Isaiah, the prophet, high, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of the, robe, of the Lord's robe fills the temple. And Isaiah has this experience where he sees God. 
And his first response, and this is such a beautiful depiction of the gospel, Isaiah's first response is, woe is me. God, you are so holy and so perfect and so righteous, and I am not. God, everything that you are, I am not. I am perpendicular, just diametrically opposite to who you are. God, if you're on this side of the table, I'm on this side. If you're on top, I'm on the bottom. You are beautiful and glorious in all of your ways, and I am beautiful and glorious in none of my ways. And so here is Isaiah sort of wrestling with this, woe is me. And in the beautiful picture of the gospel, God sends an angel to wash away, to purge, to cleanse him, to make him whole again and says, don't worry, your sin is taken away. And so often when we think of the gospel, we sort of stop there. Thank Jesus, my sin is taken away. But that picture of, of the gospel doesn't end with Isaiah's sin being taken away. There's a next sort of picture where we see God in his perfection, in his eternal community, looking at one another. And God says, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who will we send? Who will go for us? Isaiah puts up his hand and says, here I am, Lord. Send me. And the truth is that we haven't really embraced and begun to live the gospel until we come to that place where we begin to be saint ones. You see, if we're in the gospel and we're only receiving salvation as beautiful, as perfect, as amazing as all of that is, we are missing a large part of what God has for us. And so we see that in Isaiah, and here is Isaiah, this one who is willing to be the saint one. Jesus comes as the saint one. He calls disciples to him, and he says, come and I will make you. He doesn't say come because you are, come because you are ready, come because you are the perfect one I need, come because you have the skills, come because you've been prepared. No, he says, come and I will make you. I will make you, I will shape you, I will form you into what you need to be. And after three years of making them, he says, okay, now go and make disciples. Be saint ones. And he sends them as apostles. And so we've been speaking a lot that we cannot, hopefully we don't want to get away from. That is the gospel of Jesus. And so if we're wanting to step into the purpose of God, we cannot get away. We should not even try and attempt to get away from the fact that the purpose of God starts with the salvation of souls and the redemption of souls. I so love, I've been speaking a lot about Titch Smith recently and the Live Village guys just because it's a, a recent experience and I was so challenged in, in many of those conversations. But I was so challenged by Titch when he said that, they want to do this whole orphanage thing so that every child can have a home in which they can be loved. Everyone can know that they've got a father in heaven who loves them. And sort of the third part of the vision of, of Live Village. So when the, and then when the government asks us why it works, we point them to the cross. You see, the whole point is not only about caring for the orphans, it's about pointing people to the cross. The cross of Jesus, we have to, if our lives aren't shaped and tailored and formed with this at the very center of why we are alive today, to point people to the cross of Jesus, it is impossible for us to step into the purpose of God because that is the purpose of God. 
whether I'm running my business or whether I'm teaching at my school, whether I'm raising my children, whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm working as an engineer, I'm working as a lawyer, I'm working as a doctor, if at the center of that isn't a God, somehow we are pointing people to the cross of Jesus because of this. We can know we're missing the purposes of God. And so as God is calling us to step into his purpose. We're going into a week of, normally we would have had a week of prayer and fasting. This year we're making it a prayer, a week of prayer and feasting. I'm hoping that in our heart, our heart's desire is, I cannot wait to invite these people over to share the gospel with him. I cannot wait to invite these people over and to have a conversation about Jesus with him. I cannot wait to go and knock on the door of my neighbor, whether my neighbor in my commune that I stay in, my neighbor in my neighborhood where I live, my neighbor who shares the office block with me. I cannot wait to go and knock on their door to share the gospel with him. I'm going to trust God for opportunity. I challenged us a couple of weeks ago, put a date and a time to it. Put a deadline. Not because we love the sound deadlines make when they go flying past, but because if we don't put deadlines down in our lives, it's so easy just to, I'll, I'll get it, I'll do it. I remember as kids, my parents, one day my mom came home with a printed disc about this size. It was around to it. Did anybody else ever have around to it when you were kids? And then on the back it says, this is, in front it says, big A, round to it, T-U-I-T. And on the back it says, this is around to it. Your whole life you've said, you'll do it when you get around to it. Well, here's your round to it. And now you can, but our lives are a little bit like that. We'll do it when we get around to it. I'll pray with my neighbor when I get around to it. I'll knock on their door when I get around to it. I'll take them a meal when I get around to it. Sometimes we need to say, well, I'm getting around to it on Friday. I'm making sure this happens by Friday, God willing. Yes, there are times when the Holy Spirit will intervene. I just had this passage on my heart for a while. I don't know why I need to say this, but I just want to put this out there. Paul, the great apostle, the great saint one, has a desire to go to every part of the known world to preach the gospel. And he, he goes to a little town called Bithynia. I can't remember exactly which one was first, but Bithynia was one of them. And he's excited. He's going to go and preach the gospel in Bithynia. He's got his little troop. They're singing Bithynia for Jesus, Bithynia for Jesus. They're marching to Bithynia. They're at the doorstep of Bithynia. They're about to go into Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says, no, not Bithynia. Sometimes those moments happen. But here's a little one, perhaps you may have missed this. The Holy Spirit's only going to tell you not to go preach somewhere if you're planning to go preach there. If you weren't going to go there, you don't, he doesn't have to worry about telling you not to go there. You get that? So he's on his way to Bithynia, not Bithynia. And then there's another town he wants to go. He wants to go preach the gospel. Holy Spirit says, no, not there. That evening he has a dream and this man from Macedonia who calls him. And he realizes that's where God wants me. And he goes to Macedonia and he preaches the gospel. There are times when we want to go and knock and as we're about to knock on the neighbor's door, the Holy Spirit says, not today. We must be willing for that, but okay, then which neighbor, God? Give me a dream tonight. If not this neighbor, then the next door neighbor. So I want to encourage us as we begin to step in to the purpose of God, we have to start stepping. We can't step into the purpose of God if we're not willing to step out of our comfort. 
We spoke about the fact that often when the Word of God comes and sort of challenges us and the Word of God leads us and calls us to Him, it's intimidating and it's inconvenient. The Holy Spirit doesn't normally call us to do exactly what we wanted to do anyway. There are times when He says, yes, go for it. You've been planning this. This is your dream. This is my dream. A lot of times the Holy Spirit's Word comes to us inconveniently. He leads us into the desert. He leads us to a place where we didn't want to go by ourselves. When the Holy Spirit came to Jonah and said, go and preach to the people of Nineveh, that was inconvenient. That was so inconvenient that Jonah would rather be swallowed by a fish than go preach to the people of Nineveh. And it's intimidating. The Holy Spirit will come and He will ask us to do things which go beyond ourselves. And Isn't that sort of the point? And he comes and he inspires us around that. It's intimidating. His word is inconvenient, but it's inspiring. If it is the spirit of the living God, it breathes something inside of us and we cannot let it go. I'm always challenged by the, the story of William Wilberforce. I think many of us have watched the movie. If you haven't yet, the really great movie to go and watch is a movie by the name of Amazing Grace. It's a story of William Wilberforce, who was a politician in England. He gave his life to end the destruction, uh, the, the slave process, to destroy the legal framework that made slavery legal. Literally gave his life for it. I think it was something like 21 years, every single year, he put a bill before Parliament to end slavery. Every year it got beaten. Eventually, Slavery was banned because of the work of William Wilberforce and many others like him. It wasn't convenient. It, it cost him, to a large extent, his life. He gave his life for something that he believed God had called him to do. It was intimidating. It wasn't something that he was quickly going to do on the way to McDonald's before he head home. Sometimes the Holy Spirit calls us to do that quick little 30-second thing. A purpose, purpose that matters is born over time. It's an investment and a, a sacrifice. And then last week we spoke about the fact that we begin to seek God, to say, God, I really want to do your will. We're confronted with this challenge that God's will and my will aren't always the same. That God, I, I really want to do this, and God is, but I really want to do this, and they don't match. We can't put both of those puzzle pieces into the same puzzle. It's one or the other. And we saw that with Jesus, that's not a bad thing. There was a time in Jesus' life when his will was different to the will of the Father. And he wrestled with the Father about that. And so before we look at some scripture this morning, I want us just to get back in our little time capsules of our lives. Most of us in this room have been following Jesus for quite some time. And I want you just to glance back for a moment at the moments that shaped your life as a Christian. A moment that, don't put that scripture up yet because we're not, we'll get there in a while, I'll tell you when. I see everyone's reading on the screen, I keep thinking they're reading the scripture, so that's my bad. Um. 
I want us just for a moment just to hop back into, into our past. Just to maybe share, just very quickly, not your testimony as such, as beautiful as your testimony is, we would love to hear that. But as you look back over your journey with Jesus, what are the moments that shaped you the way you are now? And when I use the word moment, I don't necessarily mean the three seconds. Sometimes a moment is a three-year period. A moment is a, a period of time. Sometimes it's a short period of time. Sometimes it's a long period of time. But what are the main moments that shaped you into the follower of Christ that you are today? Can we take a minute or two, maybe just turn to, to one another in a few moments and just share some thoughts and ideas about that? What are the moments that shaped you into the follower of Christ that you are today? And so as we look back over this history of our lives, most of us, we've got these precious memories. These, perhaps a single worship night where you just met with God in a profound way. Maybe a season of extended Bible study. Maybe you enrolled in Bible school or something for two or three years and that just shaped who you are today. You were in an environment of peers who had a pursuit for Christ and they pulled you into that and that shaped and turned something on inside of you. And so each one of us, we've got these memories, these fond memories that we look back on. These memories that helped shape who we are today, that helped form who we are today. Memories that we wish we could replicate for others. Memories that are so precious and so dear to our heart. In the same way, probably in that, that same time, in our formative years as, as Christians, there probably weren't just great memories as we look back, but as we look back, there were probably large dreams in our hearts. Great things that we were expecting that God was going to do, that we were going to do with God and for God, that we were expecting God to do through us. Prayers we prayed. Missions we went on. Days we fasted over. Plans we had. We lay in bed at night dreaming of seeing God's kingdom come in our lives, of seeing His will established, praying that and maybe having a vision with friends and going after and having a coffee or a meal and talking through it and exchanging these ideas, these dreams of what following Jesus is going to look like. And then the strange thing be begins to happen as we grow in what we call maturity with Christ is our memories become more and more and our dreams become less and less. There's a saying in sort of organizational literature, leadership literature and stuff, if you study that, they say if your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. When your memories begin to exceed your dreams, the end is near. When I'm spending more time looking back at what was than looking forward at what is to come. Organizationally, we're in trouble. And in terms of a life cycle of a living thing, that's a sign that the end is right close. And so as we're in this place where God is renewing, where God is stirring again, I wonder what happened to these dreams in our lives. 
Some of us, we need to go back to our journals and our notebooks, those dreams that we wrote down in those times when these memories were formed, those times when we were shaped, when we were, when we were being formed as believers. What is it that we wrote down? What is it that we stayed up late at night thinking and dreaming and praying into, studying Scripture about? What happened to those dreams in our hearts? Have our dreams begun to fade and our memories begun to crystallize? Are we more excited about what was in our walk with Christ than what is coming in our walk with Christ? That's one of our challenges, those of us who have had a long walk with Christ. It's so easy to stagnate and to say, I've been there, I've done that. I've had these moments. Look at all of these memories I have in my walk with Christ. And yet we miss that God wants us to have dreams about our walk with Christ. God doesn't want us just to only be stuck in the what was and what we had. He wants us looking forward into the what is coming and the what will be. I wonder if you, with just a moment again, to think of your favorite Bible story. Maybe with, to keep the group just really small so we don't spend too much time on this, but very quickly, summarize your favorite Bible story in like 30 seconds for the person sitting next to you. Find someone next to you, 30 seconds, your favorite Bible story, the one that springs to mind right now. Okay. Isn't it great when you think of Scripture and these stories that form the narrative as we follow Jesus? Obviously, now we just had a few seconds, just one or two highlights about the story. Virtually every one of these stories we could spend days and weeks speaking about and unpacking. There's no ways we can do it justice in, in 30 seconds. But I think that virtually all of these stories we mentioned today have a couple of commonalities. The first commonality is there was a really ordinary person and an extraordinary God involved. Just an ordinary you, an ordinary me, and an extraordinary. And I was working through that individual. I love that about Scripture. I think I've told you guys the story when I was working at a university previously and in academia and had a, a couple of Muslim colleagues and gave the one Muslim colleague a Bible. And she actually read it. And the way I know she read it is a couple of weeks later, we had a conversation about the Bible. And she said that she was struck when she was reading it, and this I know that she read it, that it was the account of people's lives and stories. She was expecting this rule book, sort of bullet fashion, rule after rule after rule after rule in a thick book like this. And it was amazing for her that it was just stories of people's lives. And more than it being stories of people's lives, it was the story, obviously, of God working in and through people's lives. There are a couple other commonalities I'm sure we could pick out from the stories, but here's one which maybe you haven't thought of so much. Virtually every story we mention, there's an element of risk involved. You see, whether it's David and Goliath, that's a story of risk from the beginning to the end. There's risk, there's Saul, the king. He is willing to stake his whole kingdom on a teenager. 
That for me is the greatest miracle in the whole story of David and Goliath is that Saul said yes. And so the whole kingdom is staked on this teenager. There's risk for the teenager. He has to go up against this mighty giant. Everyone says to him, he, you are a youth and he is a man of your war from his youth. You know? You know, David's response could have been, well, how am I going to be a man of war from my, from my youth if I don't start now? You know? So he wants to be a man of war from his youth. But there's risk. He goes without the armor. There's risk. Maybe Esther, my kids, I think they're mostly pastors now, but a couple of years ago, the only Bible stories they were interested in is if there's a woman in it. Even Jezebel. Jezebel is a great Bible story because there's a woman in it. She dies and gets eaten by dogs. It doesn't matter. She's a woman. I can't read David and Goliath. David and Goliath is a boring story, but he gets to marry the woman. Boring story. Jezebel, that's better. And Esther, obviously. We read this beautiful story of Esther, but Esther is a story of risk. It's, guys, you need to fast for three days. Why are we fasting? Because there is incredible risk. If the king doesn't welcome me and I die, I will go to him, but I might die. I just want you guys to know. We're all about to die. So the risk, I guess, isn't quite so big. If I'm going to die now or next week, maybe trying to save us, but, but there's risk. Pick a Bible story, there's, there's risk. Jericho. Let's go march around the enemy six times in silence, once a day. The seventh day, seven, uh, six times in silence, and the seventh time we're going to make a big noise and we're going to defeat this whole big army behind the big walls. What if this doesn't work and they sit up in the top and they kill us all? There's risk. Pick a Bible story, Old Testament, New Testament. There is risk. And one of the reasons I think in our maturity when we come to Christ, we stop dreaming is we become too risk averse. We become too mature and too unwilling to risk for Jesus. I'm not saying we must risk willy-nilly. I'm not saying we must be um, careless with our lives and with our loved ones. But following Jesus, there's risk. At the gate, beautiful. Silver and gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. Rise up and walk. That's risk. What happens if he doesn't get up and walk? And so I think one of the things that's begun to happen is we've lost in our lives. Can I go back to those times when those memories we spoke about earlier were formed? If you think about those stories, there's probably a bit of risk involved, even in your own life. The things that you were willing to risk, the things that you were willing to give up. A friend of mine is a, a pastor now. He tells a story, and I remember we were in missions just after he got saved, and he, he used to say, he says in, in holidays, he used to go home from varsity, and he would scalem rook, what's that in English? Smoke in secret. He'd wait for his parents to go hide somewhere or something, and then he'd go and smoke, or other way around. He'd wait for him, his parents to go somewhere, so he could go to hide somewhere, so he could smoke, probably a more realistic expectation. Go around the corner somewhere where his parents were so he could work in his smoke. And then he got saved. And then, then he began to anoint the house in secret. Then he'd wait for the parents not to be in the room so he can go and anoint their room. He'd wait for 
opportunities when the parents aren't around and you can anoint the whole house and you can worship and you can bring in the kingdom of God into his house. He's smoking in secret because there's risk. For his young mind, as a young believer, there's risk in anointing his home. His parents got saved. His father came to know Christ and passed away last year, sadly. But he knew Jesus. But we were like that as young believers, weren't we? We were willing to risk. We were willing to get up early in the morning and we were willing to take a chance for Jesus. And we're mature and the willingness to take chance goes out of the door a bit. The passage that I do want us to read today is in Judges 2 verse 6. And I think it's a little bit of a warning more than anything for us. The two passages that we're going to get to as we close this morning. What's just happened here is we pick up the story. Moses and the people of Israel have come out of Egypt, out of slavery, have gone through the Red Sea, spent 40 years in the desert, seeing God do miracles. Then the Jordan parted. They walked through the Jordan. They overcame Jericho. They took the land with giants. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that God wants us to step into the promised land that he has prepared for us, and there are giants there. And they did this. And so these people of Israel are in the promised land. Just before this, Moses dies at 120 years old. He, closes, he climbs a mountain and God buries him up there. And then God's a little bit upset with the people because they didn't quite listen to everything that they were meant to do when they entered the promised land. But now they're in this promised land. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. So Joshua is leading now. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived them, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel, those who had memories. You see, we can do that. We can continue, most of us, to follow Jesus until our deathbed based on the memories of what has happened in the past. Most of us, we've experienced enough of Jesus for those memories to carry us until our deathbed. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. And then watch this. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And so here's the thing that I believe God is wanting us to wrestle with in our lives. Our memories might be enough to sustain and to carry us, but they are not enough to sustain and to carry our next generation. The people that we are ministering to, our children, the people that are going to come to our small groups and join in our walk with Christ, our memories cannot sustain their walk with Christ. They need their own experiences. And so as I was praying, I just sensed the Lord just dropped this into my heart. And I just kind of, as I said today, I don't want to teach so much. I don't want to expound on Scripture so much as just what I believe is two prophetic Scriptures that the Lord wants us just to stand and to face. The first one is, are we concerned about the next generation? By the next generation, I'm not only talking about the age I'm talking about those who will follow Jesus after us. 
And so here's the challenge that I just sense the Lord putting in my heart. Many of us, we've been praying, God, what can I do? God, I really want to embrace your purpose, but I don't know how. I don't know what the first step is. I don't know what to do. God, I know that you want to use me, but I don't even know where to begin. God, I don't know what to do to let your kingdom come. I'm going about my work and I'm praying there and I'm trying to minister where I can and wanting to pray with people and start Bible studies and continue doing all of that. I just sense the Lord say something very simple. Almost like he says in Revelations 2, returning to our first love. I just sense God saying, those memories that you had, those moments that shaped you, helped to create those moments for others. As simple as that. Those moments that shaped you helped to create those moments for others. For me, one of the moments that shaped my life the most was on a first year's camp with a bunch of first year students, just an encounter with the Lord in a, an evening of worship. I can help create moments like that. I can knock on doors and say, God, how can we create moments for first year or young students to have an encounter with Jesus? I can't meet, make them meet Jesus, but maybe I can do something to give them the same moment that I had. Most of us are here and we're able to look at those moments and say those moments shaped and formed me. Maybe I can help to create those moments for somebody else. Maybe I can step out. Maybe I had a great small group facilitator. or Maybe I had someone who'd pray with me early in the morning. Whatever it is, how can I create those moments? How can I take those moments and multiply those moments to a next generation? See, my moment is not going to sustain them. They need their own moment. But if I'm not going ahead and creating space for them to have the moments I had, one, how are they going to have those moments? It doesn't mean that you have to be the one in my situation who's organizing a first year's camp and doing all of that. But as we head sort of onto campus or whatever, hey, I, I, can, I can play guitar in the band. Or I can help carry the sound equipment. Uh, there's a moment here. I want to help replicate the moment that changed my life. I'm going to be there. Because maybe in the evening that it changed my life at the worship night, there was somebody who carried the sound equipment. And I didn't see them. I don't know they were there. But to some extent, I'm here today because of them carrying that sound equipment all of those years ago. Maybe I can help do that for someone else. I just sense the Lord wanting just to challenge us around that. Oh, we willing to help make the moments that shaped us for those coming after us. And then as we carry on in, the, in this idea, in Genesis chapter 15, story that many of us know. Because you see, some of us, we're sitting here, some of our dreams have gotten lost. Some of us have never had dreams with Jesus. Some of us need to mourn the loss of our dreams. We, we've forgotten how to dream. I love that about kids. And just as an aside, that's one of the reasons I love university students. They still dream. You get a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds in a room talking about the future. They're dreaming. They're hoping. They're planning. They're seeing this little thing that they kind of squiggled on the napkin, changing the whole world. The whole world is going to use our app. We're going to do this and this and this, and it's going to be amazing. And then the kingdom's going to come, and there's this dream inside of us, and we grow up and we lose the ability to dream. 
And that's why I so love this passage because sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all these blessings when I don't have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, he will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, and I'm going to paraphrase for a moment, and then we'll read what it said there. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Dream. The Lord took him outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. That sounds like dreaming to me. That sounds to me like Abraham going and lying on his back and saying, look, there's, there's Joshua. And that's what Joshua is going to do, these great things. He's going to lead the people of God into a promised land that he's prepared for him. There's a little guy. That, that one there, that star, that star is David. He's going to be a king. My son. My great, 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 great grandson. There's going to be no king like him. He's going to be the best king ever. And I can imagine Abraham just lying there, just looking at the stars and dreaming. What could be? What could be? I want to hold before us this evening that's a godly thing to do, to dream. When a dream only stays a dream, I think we know about the fact, you know, that there are more. There's more potential and life and ability locked up in graveyards than anywhere else on the planet. Dreams that were never fulfilled, talents that were never used, all of those superlatives that one can get into. I'm not saying we must go to our life, end our lives with a whole bunch of unfulfilled dreams. Maybe you never thought about it this way. As Christians, as followers of God, we should be dreamers. We should be dreamers. We should be looking at an environment and beginning to dream. My friends used to joke with me when I was at varsity because I had that little bit about buildings. I'd walk into any building and dream about what that would look like as a church. Any building. Figure out where we're going to put the stage in, the sound equipment. How's this going to be a church? What would this building walk into a hospital? This would be a great church. Stop at the engine to fill up. Guys, you see a church here. Dreaming godly dreams. For every one of us, those dreams are going to be different. They're going to look different. But I sense this evening, God wants us to begin to dream again. So this morning, I want to pray with us. And maybe just carry on before we just finish this passage and then we pray together. Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord. We talk about Abram as the father of our faith. Do you know what made Abraham the father of our faith? Was this moment right here. That he was willing to dream with Jesus. Abraham believed the Lord. The Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. This morning as we close before we pray, there are 
It's one challenge that I've mentioned. I want to say it again. I want to hold before you. And then we want to pray with some people around something. The challenge I want to hold before us, I want us to go and chew on, meditate, wrestle over, is how can I in some way help to create the moments that shaped me? Those moments that made me who I am today as a believer, how can I in some way help to shape those moments for a next generation? For the Philip 20 years ago, where he is now, that guy, how can I help to shape that moment that shaped me? And then we want to pray with some people this morning. Some of us, we're here and we've lost our dreams. Not only have we lost our dreams, maybe even we've lost our ability to dream. We forgot what it's like to dream. We go to bed and there are just worries and there are no dreams. When somebody begins to dream, we just shoot them down. That's impossible. It can't happen always. God wants to come and shape and birth something inside of us, the ability to dream again. The ability to be dreamers, not spaced out dreamers kind of in a different planet, but people who can dream with God. People who can, like Titch Smith, can look at an empty field and dream that this can be an orphanage for hundreds of kids. People who can begin to dream about the purposes of God coming to your environment. Maybe you can look at your busted up family and dream that we can have worship nights together as a family. We're going to dream. Some of us have lost that ability to dream. Maybe you've never had it. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to lay hands on you. We want to trust God to make alive within us, to make us dreamers for His namesake again. Some of us to awaken old dreams that have gone dormant. For some of us just to make it alive again, the ability to dream dreams. Isn't that one of the gifts of the Spirit? In the last days it will come to pass. I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. And one of the things, they'll dream. The Holy Spirit wants you to dream for His name. I walk into a building like this now. We happen to have a, a service in here. But I dream to see a building like this just filled with people passionate for Jesus. The fact that it's our building it kind of a bit, has certain implications. But one of my problems in life is I walk into any building and I see it as a church. And how are we going to fill this with the people who are worshiping and glorifying Jesus? And then sometimes it's nice when you walk into an environment or sit at a stadium and February next year, we're going to hopefully trust God to fill up that stadium again. Stand in that stadium, look down over and say, God, this is a taste of heaven. Here are people on their knees bowing to you like we did in 2018, last time we filled up lofters for Jesus. People on their knees. There's no reason why you can't go to a rugby game freaks me out when I go to a rugby game. I love going to a rugby game or cricket game. I'm seeing all the people cheer inside of me. Like, imagine if all the people cheered like this for Jesus. We score that winning try in the last moment. Some of you may have seen Lionel Messi, first game for Inter Milan. Oh, not Inter Milan, Inter Miami. Last kick of the game, free kick, Lionel Messi. 
scores. Wins the game for his new team, on his debut for his new team. Everybody goes crazy. I'm like, imagine if the world could go this crazy for someone who defeated death and washed our sin away. Imagine if we could be as excited every time we think about the resurrection of Jesus as for some guy who just kicked the ball. Imagine if we start dreaming like that again. A world filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Right now we're filled with the knowledge of the glory of Lionel Messi. What if we were not filled with the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ? Beginning to dream for that. Hope for that. Do silly things for that. We were stupid enough. Fortunately, God saved me to cycle around this country seven times. As if you watched Tour de France, our guys did that. Half the speed, twice the time, same distance. Cycling around the border of South Africa, praying for this country because they dreamt about a country that would follow Jesus. Was on the bike training for that. Getting ready to go and cycle. And God looked at me and said, Philip, what are you doing? Get off the bike. <laughs> Saved me. <laughs> Got off the bike and went preaching around the country for six weeks at a time, for six years in a row. Because we dreamt that the country could and should be different. Are we willing to dream again for Jesus? Can we stand? Jesus, I want to thank you this morning, Lord, that as you look over us, Lord, that you dream. That just as you looked over Abraham and you told Abraham, look up and dream because you'd been dreaming, Jesus. You look over us and you dream, Lord. You say, I has not heard, Lord. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has entered into our hearts, our, our dreams, our imaginations, the thing that you have prepared for us. You have been dreaming over us, Lord. And this evening, this morning, God, we want to become dreamers again, Lord. Can I ask those of us who just need a touch from God in this area, maybe we need to become dreamers. We had many dreams and the dreams have died or we just need to start dreaming again. Don't you want to be bold and just come to the front? We're going to lay hands on you this morning. Trust God that we would become a church of dreamers again. A church of people who are willing to trust God for the impossible, who are willing to look at environments and say, God, I can dream about this environment looking different, Lord. can dream about making music, writing songs that go across the globe. We want to pray with you this morning if you want God to release in you a capacity to dream for His sake, His sake, for His name. Dreaming about coming up with ideas and plans and ways and methods that are going to change the world. Reaching nations and generations. Lord. Dreaming about it. Lord. Dreaming about communities filled with the knowledge of Christ. Dreaming about schools fire for Jesus 
young kids day and night just worshiping and crying out to Jesus across the school terrain, taking their breaks to pray, coming to school and declaring fast days for the school, just dreaming about those moments. Lord, we want to dream again, Lord. So God, as we're wrestling with all of these multiple things, Lord, about just our world doesn't align with your will and with laying down our lives so we can find it in you. You coming, God, and de-weeding us, Lord, taking away everything that wants to take our fruitfulness. We just bring this and add this. And say, God, we want to dream dreams that glorify you, Lord. We want to walk into environments and see Jesus, your kingdom come. Dream about your will being established. Lord, not dreams of just big businesses and palaces and cars for the sake of it, Lord. Dreams about your kingdom. Dreams about restoration and healing and salvation. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria.